0: You're listening to The Devoted Podcast, where our desire is to be women devoted to the Word of God. We're so glad you're here, and we pray you'll be challenged and encouraged as we look to God's Word together. Hey, welcome, devoted listeners. I'm glad you are back with me. Hey, just a couple things before we jump in here today, but wanted to let you know I've got a couple more episodes that I'm going to be doing for this season, I guess, as we're going to call it, for the year it's going to be. Can you believe we are towards the end of November? Pretty soon, before you know it. Wow. So we're going to have... I'm going to do episodes through the end of November here, and then I'm going to take a break for the month of December and just a little bit into January. I'm not totally certain the start date in January, so watch social media, Instagram, and all that kind of good stuff to see when we're going to launch again in January. But we're just going to take a couple weeks off so that I can work on, Lord willing, a Bible study for the spring for Athey Women. So we're really excited about that. I would love you guys' prayers for that as we kind of dig into that in December. So, but with that, we're going to take just a smidge of a podcast break so that I can focus on that. And then I'll come back in January to start back up. So I'll be excited to do that. But today I am going to look at disagreements disagreements disagreeing biblically if we can uh, all agree on one thing probably it's that we are living in disagreeable times to be sure it just it feels like there's arguments and disruption and discord kind of lurking around every corner you know and often I think it leaves us with a number of reactions and responses probably and some of those may be profitable and some may not be But, you know, it it runs the gamut, doesn't it? It's, you know, it can cause us to be anxious or angry. It makes us sad or maybe just weary, you know, just weary of all of the back and forth. And I just think there's been a level of exhaustion, really, in seeing all the different sides, the, the vehemence in which people will put forth their opinion has been... Kind of startling. I mean, we've always seen that to some degree, but thanks to the internet, we get to see everybody's opinion every moment of the day. We can access that, right? Whether we want to or not, probably. And so it just feels like there's all of this back and forth, and it does feel a little exhausting but I wanted to look at what the word has to say and just kind of what the, how would the word remind you and me of how we want to engage or not engage, but what it should look like when we're in disagreement on some of these things. And There is going to be a lot of scripture today, guys. I'm just going to read a bunch of scripture because for a couple reasons, it gives us a really great prescriptive, I think, on our conduct, our speech, all of that stuff. But for real, guys, y'all don't need my words on this, and neither do I. We need to look to His Word, and there's just a lot that I think we need to be reminded of, especially when it comes to this. And and could there be something that's more relatable to all of us right now? Because I'm sure we're just either we know someone that they're you're just the bystander of the disagreement or you're actively engaged in it yourself so i think it's really good to see what scripture has to say and just remind us of these things. So like I said, I'm going to read a bunch of scriptures today, probably even a little bit more than I typically do. And and that's something I like to do a lot of anyway. But if I say a scripture on here, and maybe you don't quite catch the reference or whatever, I always try to put the scripture references in the show notes on where you download it. So whether you're downloading from Apple Podcasts or Spotify, I try to list all of that stuff there in those notes so that you can refer back to them. And of course, if y'all ever had a question like, hey, Amy, I missed this or whatever, you can always email us at devotedpodcast at athecreek.com. So with that, let's kind of jump in. I'm sort of going to divide this up into a couple sections, but I want to say a lot of these scriptures, there's just going to be a ton of overlap in here. So these are just things that it was kind of clarifying in my own mind, but please don't take it that... Each of these scriptures is only applying to one of these sections. But as we look at disagreement, I think scripture has some things to say to us generally, you know, just for our conduct and words and speech overall. But then I think there is some scriptures that seem to be a bit more targeted towards uh, non-believers and our disagreements with non-believers. And then I think there are some words that are disagreements with believers, you know, that within the church itself. So that's kind of the the sections in which I'm going to go off of here. So first, you know, the interactions, the disagreements that we may have, just what does scriptures speak to us generally about this? And first I, I realize I am speaking to believers here. Sometimes I think that we believers, and by that very Christianese word that I'm throwing down there is just people that have recognized, we've recognized our own sin. We have confessed and we believe that Jesus died on the cross, rose again. And because of that, we can be saved. Those are the believers. And sometimes I think we, believers, we suppose that non-believers, people that do not have Jesus and have not confessed that, that they should be conducting themselves in a way that the scriptures that I'm going to read are instructing. We do that, right? So hang on a second. We need to make sure that you know we can't presume that someone who hasn't accepted Jesus does not have the Holy Spirit in them to be able to put on... Jesus like this. So you're not going to be able to be frustrated or at least have a pass at being frustrated with your atheist friend for not putting on Jesus in your contentious conversations, right? That's not going to make sense. They, or if that's you listening, that's the first thing. You got to acknowledge Jesus first, acknowledge our sin and confess that and believe that Jesus died for us. That's the first, first step. But to the believer, so that's who we're speaking to here, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, I think kicks us off and gives us a great context just going into this. And it says in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. I love this passage so much. It's one of these, and I'm going to read a couple of these, but that are like this, where you kind of feel like you could just pretty much put this on a post-it and put it everywhere you go. And whatever your situation is, kind of measure it against these words right here. And you could say, man, is my response here? Is it peaceful? Is it patient? Is it kind? Is it good? I love the word in there, gentleness, that it describes. And we're going to key in on that one a little bit because there's even a specific word to us as women, specifically with gentleness. But what do we mean by gentleness? One of the commentaries I looked up it describes that word with humility and mildness but it's also a term that denotes both strength and vulnerability. There's a little bit of this kind of back and forth with the word gentleness. There is sort of that that strength to it, but it's kind and it's there's a there's a mildness to it. It Very much to me reminds me of the word meekness in Scripture, which is strength under control. But I love this attitude, really, of how you would be approaching disagreement with a gentle spirit, with a gentle heart. All of those words, though, whether it's the peace or patience or kindness, gentleness, self-control, if in doubt, go that route. You know, I remember one time I was involved in a situation and the person was not a believer and we had had kind of a contentious relationship a little bit. And I was struggling with how to respond in a situation. And I remember reading this passage and the Lord just convicted me of exactly this. Respond in this way. There is no law. There is no reason why you cannot conduct yourself in that way. You cannot, you should be conducting yourself in love and joy and peace and patience, all of those things, gentleness. I think that's a great just foundation for us to sit on as we kind of talk about what disagreements can look like. You could probably just turn this podcast off right there. And just go, man, is how I'm responding, is how I'm disagreeing with something, is it encompassing those virtues? Because right there, there is no law against that. And I love that foundation. But let's keep going. So 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 26 says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Now, like I mentioned earlier, that there would be some overlap, you know, because you can see in that bottom part of that verse how it's talking about that they perhaps will be won over to the knowledge of truth. So that's that's talking about if you're disagreeing or you're speaking to a non-believer, just by the way you conduct yourself that that can be something that leads them to repentance, leading to the knowledge of truth. So I love that as well. But just that first part, that very first line said, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. Guys, do you know some of those folks, and maybe this, is, maybe this is you, maybe this is a word to you, and I know there's been times in my life where that's been me too, of just being quarrelsome. You know, almost being that person that looks for the fight, like they just want to be right and I think just in this general category of how we want to approach disagreement, let the word do its work on that one a little bit. If you're that in that camp of just being quarrelsome, just kind of looking for the fight, I want to come out with the win. I want to be able to say that thing that makes my argument, you know, that's not what scripture is telling us to do. We, it's telling us to not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, because that is what makes us able to teach patiently enduring evil. I just love all that. Okay, so see, I told you guys we're gonna hammer through a lot of scriptures on this because the word just has so much to say about this that I think is so helpful. So Colossians 3, right at the beginning verse, I'm going to skip around a little bit, but in Colossians 3, 1, it starts off and it says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, which is Christ, seated at the right hand of God. And, you know, I'm going to read some sections, verses and verses down, but, you know, it's always important to pull in this context, too, when you're reading scripture. And I wanted to go into this next piece of scripture with that firm foundation right there, that we are to seek the things that are above, isn't that a lot of times, the things that we may be disagreeing about, are we seeking the things of Christ or are we seeking our own point? Are we seeking that we, we've got to win this argument to prove that this person is wrong? Because you know what? You might find yourself being quiet in a hurry if you just shift your heart and go, oh, this is not seeking Christ, this is seeking me, this is seeking that I am right and this person's wrong or whatever the, the thing may be. But then as you go down in Colossians Colossians 3, it's starting in verse 12, it says, put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Man, Boy, is this a word to us? Maybe it's that text that you got that just didn't seem to be in the kindest tone. Perhaps there wasn't enough smiley emojis on that thing that was making you think that this person was very happy. Or, you know, maybe it's that really grumpy person at the grocery store that glared at you because you're not wearing your mask quite right. You know, we've seen those, right? I mean, my goodness, if. If it's not done, we've gotten some looks. I know we're out there. But or maybe it's, you know, the political posts out there. My goodness, have those not been scary these days? But maybe it's just that one that you read that just absolutely incensed you. What was your response? What is your response? I think we all need to write out verse 12 right here. And like I said, sticky note, post that thing all over your house. Verse 12 said, put on then as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. This is what we're supposed to put on. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. What I love about that piece is it's those two words right at the beginning, the put on part. It's not that it's gonna necessarily Just come naturally, even. It's saying to put on compassion. Like, you're going to have to actually put some Jesus on. You may not feel like it. It's not going to be the thing that you're going to, our natural natures are going to just want to gravitate towards. But it says, put it on. And even if we don't feel like it, that's okay. Still put it on. And what it's telling us to put on, I think you can go right back to that Galatians piece because it says, against those things, there's no law. So even if you're like in this place of like, I'm kind of faking it. I think it's one of those places where the fake it before you make it thing, all good. Putting on compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And then that part in verse 13 where it says bearing with one another. Man, just to bear with somebody, you know those things that they say, you know, whatever battle somebody is fighting, everyone is fighting a battle. We just don't always see it, right? And you just don't know what that person's going through. And so that's where that compassion comes from. And just putting that on, even when they're glaring at you, even when they're cutting you off on the freeway, just put on that compassion. But specifically for us as women, I love the word that 1 Peter 3, 4 gives us. And 1 Peter 3, 4 says, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. I love this verse. And yet at the same time, I got to say, I feel like I am just such a long ways from mastering that one, you know, but that's why I think we need to continually be coming back to God's word, because we're just not going to have that that one, you know, the the gentle and quiet spirit. That's just probably not going to be on the tip of our brains when you read that comment thread or you see that post that just absolutely ticks you off. It's just not you're not going to be going. Oh, gentle and quiet spirit, right now. So I think that's why it's so important that we do keep coming back to script, scripture and we continue to just remind ourselves of these things because we need these reminders. So those are some general ones overall, and like I said, there is some overlap there. But then maybe specifically, if we could look at disagreements, if it's with a non-believer, what could that look like? Specifically, then when we have disagreements with a non-believer. I don't think there's any better example than Jesus himself. And I love how John 4 gives the whole story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman. I'm going to read sections of this. It's kind of long, so I'll try to paraphrase in in places. But this is John 4, verse 4, and he says, And Jesus, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he went to the town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And then later in verse 7, it says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman from Samaria? So I'm going to stop right there, guys, because this is the part where the the story gets a little bit scandalous. Because first of all, Jews would not have gone into Samaria of their own. I mean, they just didn't do that. That was not something you would do. It was quite scandalous to do that. So that's your first thing that Jesus, a Jewish man, is in Samaria. The second thing is that he's gonna talk to a woman and she notices this. She's like, What what are you talking to me for? The other thing that I didn't read it up earlier, it said that she was there at the sixth hour. So this probably like lets you know that this woman was not of the best reputation. Whatever was going on, she was not going to the well when all the women would have gone earlier in the day when it wasn't as hot. She was coming out by herself later in the day. So that's interesting. So he's talking to a Samaritan, a woman, and somebody who's not of the best reputation for whatever for whatever that means, whatever was going on there. So... He asks her for a drink and then Jesus answers her and says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So this piques her curiosity, right? And the woman said to him, said, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. And this well is very deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob? And so they start having this little discourse because the Samaritans and the Jewish people, they kind of had a, a battle about some issues of where you would worship and all that kind of stuff. So she realizes, hey, I want this living water because I want to stop coming out to this well all the time. It's not convenient. And it's she doesn't need apparently even like to be seen with all the rest of the people. So she's like, yeah, I would like some of this living water. And Jesus says to her when she asks for this, he says, go call your husband, And come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Okay, we have to stop at this because this is facts right here. Notice that Jesus did not ignore that she was living in sin and actively walking in sin, he doesn't do that. He does call it out. But you can tell by how this woman responds next that however Jesus said this, his speech, his countenance, it must have had this gentleness that we keep reading all in all these passages today because she doesn't storm out. And also, did you notice like when he said to her or when she said to him, I have no husband, he didn't condemn her for it. He didn't like yell at her and say, you're lying. And he was kind. And no, we cannot see Jesus's face in this. But as you're reading it, don't you just, I just almost envision what his countenance must must have been. And we got to know he had to be nailing it here because in her next response, she does not go storming out. In fact, after he says all this and he says that, you know, you actually have five husbands. She says her response in verse 19 is that, sir, I perceive you are a prophet our fathers worshiped on this mountain. And then this is where they begin their kind of their theological debate about where they should be worshiping. But her response is not defensive. She doesn't storm out. There's nothing like that. And so sometimes we can be like, well, maybe we should give the woman some credit for how she was responding. I think that we could probably just go, you know, he's God and he probably nailed exactly how this should be done. Like this is the model for how to have a difficult conversation. Couple things out of this. I mean, he knew that this conversation was happening. He didn't happen upon this conversation. He knew exactly when this woman would be coming to the well. He walked through Samaria, which, like I said, was not something that they would typically do. So he was looking to have this conversation. He I just see that you can see the love that he had for this woman in that he wanted a divine appointment here. But also note how gentle he is. He's very kind. Now, he didn't ignore the sin. He does call it out but he's kind and he's gentle. And then at the end, he brings it home and in, in verse 24, it starts and, and he says, God is spirit and those who worship and must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus brings it home and says, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So he does all of the things that We need to look to and model when we're in a difficult situation. He does meet it right head on, right? He has this conversation. He doesn't avoid it. He actually goes out of his way to have this conversation with her. But he's gentle. He's kind. He doesn't ignore the sin. He doesn't ignore what's going on. But then he has love and compassion for her and then just always brings it back to the fact that he is the one that she's actually looking for. And the rest of the story is just glorious in John because, you know, the woman goes back to the town and tells all the people about Jesus and they come out. And, you know, many people began following Jesus after that interaction. And I love that. In addition, though, beyond Jesus's example, there's other examples. You know, our conduct is our testimony, particularly when it comes to people that do not know Jesus. They're watching us. They, they're they seeing how we act. They're seeing how you act on Twitter and Facebook and whatever you're doing, they're seeing how you're acting at Fred Meyer, you know. Our conduct is speaking. 1 Peter 2.12 says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of the visitation. First, it's important to just keep that in mind that we need to be honorable and honest in addition to all of these things when we are having these Interactions with unbelievers because that glorifies God. Titus 3 1 through 5. This is another word to us as Christians. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Boy, this brings in a couple, right? Because it's often people are speaking out against rulers and authorities. And remember who the ruler was when Paul was writing these things to Titus and some of the other ones that we're going to read. The ruler then was Nero, who was pretty much the worst you can get. But his word here is to remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient. Guys, this is a hard word and not something that we see very often. But I love that he also says to speak evil of no one and avoid quarreling. Just another reminder, guys, when we're in these disagreements, we might want to take a step back and push them through the light of scripture here. I like as Titus continues, because remember, we can just all relate to this because we're no better. Because in verse three of Titus, it says, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. So there's the thing right there. Do, Do we do that? You know, when we are disagreeing with someone, do we put it on this level of compassion knowing that without Jesus, there would be zero difference between us and the person, the non-believer that we might be in disagreement with? Because we kind of have this nasty habit of ranking sins, you know? You've you've heard the thing that my sin's not so bad, but my sin on you is terrible, right? But we need to remember this right here, that this, what I just read, we were all that, We were all those things. We were sinners. We were lost in our ways. We were disobedient. But Titus will continue in verse 4, and it says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. See, that's the key right there. The only thing that separates us from the one that is not believing— and is still lost in the disobedience and the malice and all of those things. That was us too. But we have been saved. And it's not because of anything we did. It's not because we made sure all our works were in a line. It's only by his mercy and the washing of regeneration, renewal of the Holy Spirit. I love that line right there. Let's take a look at First Peter 2:13. See, guys, I told you there'd be a ton of scripture, but he just, there's so much about this. 1 Peter 2.13 says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. And, And note this part right here, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Interesting. Okay. It's saying... First of all, it's telling us similar to what we saw earlier in Titus about being submissive to the authorities and obedient, but then it also goes on to say that by doing good, we are putting to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Often, we'll read these things, we'll see an article, we'll see a blog post, and we will just totally disagree with that person, and you want to write that comment or whatever it is that you should do. And I would say that's just something that you need to be prayerfully measured about. I'm not telling you to never respond, particularly depending on what you're responding to. We're going to get to into a minute when you're disagreeing with a believer. I think there's a little bit of a different construct in there. But I think it's interesting that particularly here in 1 Peter, that it's saying that we need to do good and that puts to silence the ignorance. But guys, if we come out guns blazing and just, you know, lambast somebody with some kind of comment is that doing good? It's not going to bring about any. It's not going to bring any silence from that. In fact, it's just going to provoke the fire, and it's probably just going to burn hotter than it did before. Right? If you keep reading there in First Peter two, starting in verse sixteen, it says, "Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor." Do you love his little list here? He's like, "Do this. Check." check, check. And then finally in verse 18, he says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Well, isn't that a word right there? Because we want to say, well, okay, we can be good and do some of these things, but only to the good and the gentle. But did you see what Peter said? He said, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. That means also to those, those comments that you know are just flat out wrong. You may not be supposed to say anything to that. We need to kind of filter these through the word. In 2 Timothy 1.14, he reminds us and he says, remind them of these things, charge them before God not to quarrel about words. It's like he knew we were going to have social media. It's crazy. He says, remind them to not quarrel about words, which he says does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has need not to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And I I want to segue with that one into sort of our disagreements that we can have and what the posture and what that should look like with believers. I think so far, you can see just with the general context of where we need to be you know, where do we need to come from? And I that word gentleness just keeps coming out to me because it's that humility piece. I often think that when we read something, when we have a conversation with someone, and I do keep saying reading because I do feel like most of the time these difficult, quote unquote, conversations happen in writing, don't they? They happen by a text or a comment. I think people are somewhat emboldened these days to say things in a comment thread or in a text that they may not actually say in person. I would say one of the things, whether it's a disagreement with a believer or non-believer or whatever it is, man, if you can have it in person, if you can minimally have it in a phone call, that's probably better. Because we just seem to want to say things that we maybe actually wouldn't say if we were actually looking into somebody's eyes. And I, I think that's uh, something that should convict us a little bit. Is the thing that you're typing, is the thing that you want to respond, is it something you would actually say if you were sitting across that person having coffee? Let that be a little bit of a guide maybe also. But this second part of Second Timothy that it just said right there is, remember the purpose of this, because we want to be a worker who does not want to be ashamed and it's just rightly handling the word of truth. And that's what this section comes down to when we're going back and forth with believers. Because sometimes the things that believers are disagreeing about are matters of the church, or they might even be things that they're disagreeing with issues of biblical importance, right? So generally speaking, as we move into this area of disagreeing with, you know, believer to believer, um, I think Titus has some general words to this that I like. And he says in Titus 3, 9 through 11, it says to avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. There's a lot to this passage, but the very first part of that verse in verse 9 when it said, avoid foolish controversies and genealogies, ascensions, and quarrels about the law. I think that's a good word to us as believers when we have a tendency where we want to camp out on the things that are not essential. And you should know, whatever church you're part of, you should know what the essential doctrines are of your church. You should know what the essential doctrines are to you. Like, have you gone through it? Do you understand, like, the things that you absolutely can't move on? You know, things like knowing that we're sinners, knowing that God is the only God, believing in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, believing that hell is real. That matters, guys. And so, but these are often things that within the church people quarrel about. Those ones, those are the big deal. But then there's other things, you know, have you heard when people will kind of have discussions about infant baptism versus full immersion? Okay, guys, that's not that's not an essential doctrine. That's not something you have to fight about. The essential stuff. The things that really matter for your salvation, the things that e- that either malign the gospel or bring you together in the gospel. Those are the things that really matter. Other words for us as we deal in disagreements with believers. Got to look at Luke 6 in verse 42. A lot of people have heard this one. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite first take the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I love how usually this passage is kind of determined as like, see, you're not supposed to judge. A lot of people will say that, like, you're not, you're not supposed to judge. I don't think that's actually what it's saying, but notice that we are, because we are still supposed to take the speck out of your brother's eye. It's not saying to leave it there, but this does get tricky for us Christians disagreeing with one another within the church. Because, you know, there's this funny trend right now of unity for the sake of unity. Have you guys heard that one? It's, you know, it's a larger conversation on its own that we're not gonna dig into here. But I don't think the Bible is telling us to not disagree, believe it or not, okay? Because in Luke, he shows us that the posture is that when we do, There is going to be disagreement, and if you back up to that verse in Titus when it was saying, "Avoid the foolish controversies." Okay, those are the things that are the non-essential stuff. Don't worry about that stuff. But there are going to be things that you will disagree on, and we're gonna we'll look at a couple passages on that in a second. But there's, you know, like I said, there's this trend. It's like kind of unity for the sake of unity. We just we just need to all agree and get along. But I don't think that's what the saint is saying here. And Luke is showing us, I think, is what the posture is when we do disagree and you notice it, there's a humility here there is an acknowledging of my own sin and not just being so quick to see the sin in someone else but to see the sin in my eye right which is sometimes more grievous which is what that passage is talking about it's you know remove the plank from your own own eye so do that for sure but it's not saying to leave the speck in your brother's eye either Okay, so earlier, you know, I made reference to the fact that there is going to be things that we are supposed to disagree about, you know, and I think you'd see that nowhere else more clearly than in Luke twelve, forty nine. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but these are red letters here. And in Luke twelve forty nine, Jesus says, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it already were kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with. How great is my distress until it is accomplished? Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? Question mark, huh? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house, there will be five divided, three against two, two against three. And then he goes on and talks about the division that will be exist between father and son and mother and daughter, that there will be divisions within families. And that statement he makes there that says, do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? And it's like this emphatic no. Boy, how controversial does that statement feel right there? Now, don't misunderstand. I think definitely what he's talking about in this context is salvation itself, disagreeing on the things that are essential. And I and I and that's why I kind of brought up that distinction. You know, Titus talks about not getting involved in worthless genealogies and quarrels and all that kind of stuff. That is not what Jesus is talking about. Those things, yeah, don't disagree about that stuff. When it comes to the gospel itself, when it comes to the fact that Jesus is the only way, that he is the truth and the life— That's something you got to die on that battlefield. That matters. And Jesus is pointing that out here. And that is an issue right there that if you're going to be if there's going to be disagreements, he's saying it's going to be on that one. Because some people are not going to accept Jesus. Some people are not going to accept the cross. And that is a major issue that there will be disagreement on. So to say that there are things that we're just never going to disagree on and that we should always be unified no matter what, I would say that that's not what Scripture is telling us here. I think it's telling us that there will be things that we have disagreements on. But overall, the couple themes that we've hit on throughout this, you know, how should we disagree? I think my biggest takeaway when there is disagreements that even warranted or unwarranted initially is these two words, the gentle and quiet spirit part, because either it's that it's a worthwhile discussion. It's a worthwhile disagreement that I need to bear some gentleness, humility, or it's one that's not a argument that we should be in. And that's probably where the quiet spirit needs to come in. I probably just need to be quiet about it. So those are the two things that stick out to me throughout these as I as I read and I try to measure the disagreements that I see and the and how I want to engage in this. I want to keep those two things in mind. Do I have that gentle and quiet spirit in these things? But there are some times, guys, I mean, we don't like it because we just want everything to just move along as roses, right? We just, we just want it to be peaceful and everybody to be happy. But you know, you can't ignore these scriptures like we just read in Luke 12, where it says that there's gonna be some things that bring division. Jude 1, three reminds us that we will contend for the faith. In fact, he's saying contend for the faith. Contend is like a, it's, it's not a easy word. It's not a just go with the flow kind of word. It's like, no, there's contention there. Fight for it. You need to contend for the faith. And another thing with the, when we should disagree, we're told to always have an answer for the hope that's within us, right? We are to be ready with those responses. First Peter three, fifteen and 16 says, but in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord is holy. And then it says, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in within you. But then listen to how he says to do it. He says, yet do it with gentleness and respect having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So you see what it says there? It says, yeah, we need to, first of all, have that reason for the hope that we have. We need to understand what the gospel is. We need to be able to know the fact that it's because of our sin that Jesus came and saved us. We need to know these things. We need to be able to have a defense for those things. But then it says, when you do it, when you present it, do so with gentleness and respect. And when I read both of those words right there, I picture Jesus in that John story we read about the Samaritan woman. Because he showed he showed such gentleness and respect for her, didn't he? He was gentle in how he responded, but he was even respectful in that he didn't just like walk away and you know call out her sin and just almost shame her for it. He didn't do that. There was gentleness and respect there. But there's also places in scripture that say that we are to seek peace, that we're to pursue it. It's in Psalm 34 or 14 and in a couple others, but Psalm 34, 14 is one of them. And It says, turn away from evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it. Boy, that could have a word to us just right there. It could be instead of having that personality or that attitude that just kind of wants to go and look for the fight, it could just be that we need to go look for the ways that we can show peace, that we can pursue that. That's what Psalm is telling us there. I think it's the posture that really should be considered with this because other scriptures, like I read earlier in Jude, we are to contend for our faith. We're to be ready. So we need to keep all of that there, but we need to read that where we're speaking out of gentleness, that our gentleness will be evident to all. And I think having that posture of peace and not looking for the fight is what that is telling us. So I don't know about you guys, but I needed these reminders today from the word. I needed to read through all of these and I know that was a that was a whole bunch of scripture, so I hope I didn't lose you. Remember, you can always go back and look up some of those references if you want. And I would really encourage you, man, just pick one even, and I am the biggest sticky note fan ever. Take one of these verses and stick it on a sticky note somewhere and put it on your mirror, put it on your sink, put it in your car. I feel like these days are just so filled with disagreement, with contentious arguments, really even just people that are just broken and so sad and hurt, even by other people's words, sometimes words from believers. I don't know that we're always representing ourselves the way that we should. And maybe you just need one of these verses to to write down and just really let it marinate in there. So the next time that interaction does come up or that text from that friend that you know, you guys are just on opposite sides of the issue, let your words have that gentleness and respect. Picture how Jesus's interactions were with the Samaritan woman, and let that just kind of instruct how we are to disagree biblically. So I'm praying that the next time we get ourselves into these disagreements, and you know I'm not leaving myself out of this, guys. This is all of us, but I'm praying that the next time we get in ourselves into a disagreeable situation, because we will, I hope that these scriptures will come to mind. Thank you for tuning in to the Devoted Podcast. We are a ministry of A V Creek Christian Fellowship in Westland, Oregon. For more resources, or if you need prayer or encouragement, send us an email at devotedpodcast at apcreek.com.